Jupiter. To live is to consume. Now the human beings on your planet are merely a resource waiting to be converted into capital. And this entire enterprise is just a small part in a vast and beautiful machine defined by evolution designed for a single purpose. To create The Pick, a podcast starring Sean Lemmy, John Otney, call me Jupe, and Colin Westman, call me Mars, I don't know, what? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Alright. Sure. Um, this week we are talking about Jupiter Ascending, probably the last Wachowski sisters movie we'll be talking about for a while, but who knows, maybe they got something. Um, Just left up. all the matrixes on the table. <laughs> yeah, I don't think weird so. time to revisit those now. Um, uh, but before we get into that, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna before we get even into little picks, I just gotta upfront ask you guys. In this movie, they introduce the idea of human beings being spliced together with one type of animal to get sweet animal powers. We have a bee man. We have a deer lady, and we also have, most iconically, a dog elf boy. I gotta ask you guys, up at the top, what animal would you be spliced with? Uh, what's that one shrimp that can, like, that's like the most deadly animal in the world? You know what I'm talking about? It's like a rainbow shrimp or something? Or mantis shrimp? It's, I feel like it's a well, shrimp. The... The mantis shrimp is the one that can do the, uh, it has, like, the crazy eyes, right? It can, like, see, like, more colors than we can. Ooh, okay, I'll go with that just because I want to see all the, I want to trip balls all the time. Mantis shrimp. Final mm. answer. Yeah, I don't know. I keep, the the two I was thinking was, like, either some sort of bird, like a falcon or something. Or one of those fish that goes like really deep into the ocean that like is all glowy and shit. So I guess I just want to get as far or below <laughs> the earth as possible. Get the hell out of here. Cool. Get, yeah. Uh, and Sean, and mantis shrimp is all, is also the one that's like super strong too. Super strong? It packs Why the, is it, it super strong? I don't know. It, it says it packs the strongest punch of any creature in the animal kingdom. Their club-like appendages accelerate faster than a bullet out of a gun, and just one strike can knock the arm off of a crab or break through a snail shell. So, see, I thought that was a pistol shrimp. Is a pistol shrimp also a mantis? Shrimp? Maybe are they the same thing? It might be the same kind of thing. Yeah, but it's basically <laughs> like the Dragon Ball Z of animals. It's the Goku of animals. <laughs> so that's what I'm gonna do. Kicking ass. What about you, Sean? What what animal? Uh, well, since apparently it's an option, I'm gonna have to go with a uh, dragon. Oh. <laughs> Wait, why is that an option? Because there's the dragon man in this. Oh week. yeah, I guess. Dragon. So like Dragonheart. Yeah. 
Oh, that'd be sweet. Especially, yeah. If there's also a dragon that dies if I die. So he's like, gotta protect me. And has like a cool, That's just a good deal. has a cool accent. Cool accent. Got a hole in his chest. Dude, that movie probably looks hole. bad now, right? Yeah, it came out in the 90s. <sighs> Not a lot of CGI from the 90s holds up. I feel like that might have won an Oscar uh, for effects and then like beat something that definitely should have beat it instead. But I don't know. I, I, I'm just... I wasn't prepared to talk about Dragonheart, so I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a thought. Um, yeah, so let's do our little picks. Uh, it's uh, where we talk about things that aren't the movie we're talking about, just to pad some time into the podcast. Uh, for me, of course, my little pick has got to be Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Had to had to really commit my, uh, my opinions on this movie to, to some sort of permanent uh, record. Uh, so and everybody's still that talking place. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so relevant. I mean, though. number one in the box office. I mean, uh, they are, though, right? I guess. <laughs> At least until Top Gun is out. It will be out by the time yeah. this podcast is out, but. Yeah. Um, about it. So I think um, the timing of Doctor Strange movies so far has been. Bad. <laughs> like right before <laughs> national <laughs> tragedies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, I don't think, fair to the character. I mean, it's obviously not something that anyone can control. No. Um, but it is a weird coincidence. Um, and it's doubly bad here. Well, not doubly bad because of this reason, but also. Just coincidentally, there have been a lot of um, multiverse things uh, mm-hmm. in the in the past few years. I mean, uh, there's all those, the Spider-Mans and every, everything everywhere all once. There's just so much um, multiverse, and that makes it hard to appreciate that aspect of this movie uh, because instead of being intrigued by it I'm exhausted by it <laughs> um, but let's talk about uh, something that film spotting taught me about which is that the difference between a good story and a bad story is stakes um, meaning that there has to be you know something in jeopardy or you're not going to care about what's happening in your movie um, I think there are two main things that undercut stakes in a movie that would otherwise have them, and they are magic and multiverses. Uh, so the kind of the two main things that this movie is about. Um, magic uh, has a problem that uh, it can feel a lot like a deus ex machina. Um, you know, when it seems like everything's hopeless, someone can be like, oh, well, we just do the spell that solves this problem specifically that I know for some reason. Um, the, really, the only way to get around your movie having no stakes at all and it actually being enjoyable is to have like a bunch of really well-defined rules for how the magic works. Um, so I think of, uh, like shows like Avatar The Last Airbender is, is really good at this. Uh, whereas stuff like, uh, the, the more recent Harry Potter stuff, like the Fantastic Beasts movies with, uh, Jupiter Sending Star, 
uh, Eddie Redmayne in them uh, much worse because people just keep whipping out spells and doing all sorts of things and dying and coming back from the dead like uh, shit just doesn't even matter because of all the magic and um, I think that's the problem here in Doctor Strange because years have passed since Doctor Strange 1 um, where we already didn't really know the limits of Doctor Strange's powers and what sort of spells he can do um, and since we've had Infinity War and Endgame I have no idea exactly what Doctor Strange's powers are um, John I think you were telling me that like when they started talking about going to multiverses in this movie that was the first time it occurred to you that D- Doctor Strange didn't have the power to go to multiverses yeah right? that's the thing is he's so ill defined to me that when they're like this person has the ability to go to different multiverses and I'm like oh I, I thought like multiple people could do that I, I didn't I wasn't aware that was something special like I have no idea what the limits of any character are in these movies so it's hard to, to get that invested in it right yeah and I totally agree and it's also more complicated because they have taught us all this terminology over the past few years that I, I personally can't reckon like what the difference is between it. It's like we we have realms, right? Like we have the quantum realm and the cosmic realm. I don't know if those are also universes. There are dimensions, like the mirror dimension and the dark dimension. And um, uh, t- there's Talo from, uh, from Shang-Chi, right? Where like, is that still our universe or is that a separate multiverse? Um, then there's the whole timelines thing that uh, the Loki show set up that I don't understand. Is that all are all those timelines contained within one universe in the multiverse, or are all those timelines representing the multiverses? It's it's all just gibberish. And the problem is, um, it makes me not care if characters live or die or succeed or fail, uh, because. Like, it can be undone. You know, a character that dies, you can go get a copy from another multiverse. A character who uh, kills everybody and, and destroys the universe doesn't matter because it's just one universe out of an infinite number of them. Uh, it, it's just... I, there, there are no stakes anymore uh, in Marvel. And, and also, I think it retroactively makes... Marvel seem not special anymore because the whole thing was this is a connected story where all these characters and events affect each other and now it's not that as much just because of what they've done um all all of that said if you can somehow get past these caveats i think doctor strange in the multiverse of madness is a fun movie. Um, just released at the wrong time and <laughs> has uh, some ideas that I just don't agree with. Um, but it does have a, a good cast. I mean, I, I liked uh, getting to see the Doctor Strange supporting cast come back, even in um, some pretty bit parts, especially when you look at Michael Stuhlbarg, who's just in for like one, basically a cameo, it's like in one scene. Uh, a part that could have been played by Stan Lee if he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like they're working on CGI Stan Lee for that. So. Yeah, we'll get there. Fingers crossed. Um, it's it's also an interesting payoff of the, uh, the Wanda Maximoff story that they've been setting up sort of in the background of the Marvel movies. And then it took uh, 
front and center last January in uh, the WandaVision show, which I still think is uh, the best thing uh, Marvel's done in the past couple of years. Um, so I, I would like to, to look forward to, to more of that story. And as a conclusion to, the, to what we've seen, it was, it was kind of satisfying. Uh, it's definitely well acted, and uh, and just generally the movie is, is fun of is full of fun um, Raimiisms. Uh, it's got a good uh, Danny Elfman score, uh, and uh, and the second time I watched it with with like the less pressure of it being like the latest chapter in the MCU and and, and being able to just see it as a movie made me uh, able to appreciate it a little more. So, um, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is I think I was a little too hard on Doctor Strange the first time I saw it. Um, I'm glad that we had some time pass for me to actually talk about it on the podcast. Uh, and then ultimately, I recommend it to people who are interested in that sort of thing, which you, pro- you don't need me to do because it's been the number one movie in the country for a month. But oh, well. Yeah, dude. Doctor Strange will return. Yeah. I was actually disappointed when I saw that at the end. Doctor Strange will <laughs> return. Like, seriously? Come on. I feel like we're going to be Sounds in like- a, a weird realm of... I feel like the next handful of Marvel movies all sound pretty weird. We're in a weird time. Because yeah. we got Black Panther 2, mm-hmm. uh, despite there being no Black Panther anymore. And now mm-hmm. I'm hearing the rumor that the bad guy is, is Prince Namor. Which is which is fun, but also a very weird character. Uh, he's basically a mean Aquaman with wings on his feet. So yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Maybe they'll maybe they'll make it work. Technically a mutant. Technically a mutant. Uh, but something that definitely works for me is my little pick, guys. I'm gonna go with yeah. Pepsi Nitro Brew. <laughs> Oh. Uh, this is a new drink from the Pepsi company where it, it's just Pepsi, basically, but they've introduced nitrogen gas. To make a nitro brew, this thing is smooth. I, I, it's kind of like cream soda. When you open the can, it makes this real fun noise. Like, it's indescribable. It's beautiful. <laughs> I wish I had one right now. I, I, they're kind of hard to find. You can get them at like Kroger brand stores. Or, you know, stuff that carries Kroger stuff. I haven't seen them at, like, Safeway or anything. Um, but, since there's not much to talk about in the realm of Pepsi Nitro Brew, yeah. I wanted to ask you guys a question. Yeah, go for it. When you're going right. to the store, say it's, I don't know, whatever, Safeway, Trader Joe's, Costco, or whatever... And let's say it's hot too. Hogan. What are your top three go-to cold drinks? Um, I'll go first. I was thinking about this while I was walking my dog today. What are my top three cold drinks? What are my go-tos in my life as of right now, 2022, the future? Um, and I think they are Rockstar Zero. I drink a lot of those. Pure Zero, excuse me. Uh, cherry Coke Zero. You know, I don't do a lot of full sugar Coke anymore. I gotta go with the zero. I like how it tastes. And then I really like the um, Starbucks Nitro Brew in like the black can, unsweetened, for when I want something that's 
that's got some kick but isn't too sweet. Those are those were my top three go to cold drinks. I don't know, Sean. What do you, do you have any go tos? Uh, I think you will be disappointed to find that. I no, that's, uh, that's, I'm sure not. I think uh, regular Coke is good. Hey, it's a classic <laughs> for a reason. It's a classic uh, for I, a reason. You guys know from having lived with me that my my go-to uh, beverage of choice is uh, Safeway Signature sparkling water. Oh yeah, uh, healthy. It's, uh, it's well, I don't know if it's healthy, but it's, it's not unhealthy. It's got like nothing. Wait, it's water. Why is it not healthy? Well, it's just like water with chemicals in it. It's like sparkling. You, th- water. you think those are bad chemicals? Well, I don't know. They, they, I don't think they're like they're making it better than water, you know. Um, but it makes it taste better than water, and it's all fizzy. That feels good. Yeah, can't be that bad for you. I'm sure it's fine. Do you have the number three? If you had to put something up. Uh. Uh. Maybe go. Go get a, sl- a Slurpee from from Seven. A Slurpee. I see. I didn't even think about that. Oh boy. See, and the thing is, I haven't had a Slurpee in so long now because Seven Elevens are closing down everywhere, man. Supply chain. I'm just gonna have to buy a Slurpee machine at this point. Uh, well, I haven't had one in a long time either. <sighs> but I, I, when I am thinking about like it's so hot and I'm going to the store for some reason. I, I might have to sub out that Starbucks drink for a Slurpee, because, yeah, hell yeah, dude. What, what flavor do you do? Uh, almost always Coke. Yeah, me too. Sometimes cherry. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's the I think stuff. there was a blue raspberry at some point. Sure. I take the blue icy at the movies sometimes, but it's, you know, two times more expensive than the ticket, so it's not usually worth it. Colin, do you have top three cold drinks? I can't, I can't think of many that fit your description. <laughs> it can be anything. It can be alcoholic. It can be. I just don't get like an individual like bottle of something that often when I go to the store. As far as drinks, really? like I usually will just get a twelve pack of mm-hmm. seltzer. Okay. Well, well what's your what's your brand? Well, I usually go Lacroix. Not because okay. it's like the best. It's more just like I know the flavors at this point. I've been drinking Lacroix for long enough. Sure, that's fine. All right, I think my favorite is probably either coconut or key lime. Is pretty good. Um, I don't know. On that same front, I like to get a vitamin water every once in a while because I just like remember that they still exist, even though it seems <laughs> like they definitely went out of style. But if yeah. I'm just like something that's kind of like water, but a little more flavorful, I'm like, sure, I'll have a vitamin water. You guys ever get the red one and then like leave it out too long and it like it tastes like alcohol? I haven't done is, that. Is this, is this a weird thing that I discovered? <laughs> can you uh, like, maybe. can you turn it, can you like distill it and, and make some sort of liquor with it? I don't know. I just feel like there's some fruit combination in the in the red one that if you leave it out for too long, it, it develops this interest, very interesting taste. Yeah. Um, 
But if I'm going to do a soda, I usually do Diet Dr. Pepper. I, That's my go-to. Really? DDP. That's interesting. Yeah. DDP. DDP. <sighs> what? That? So, because of the kind of the cherryish flavor, I guess? Is that a big part of that? I think so. I feel like maybe a Dr. Pepper is just, like, flavorful enough that it kind of maybe covers up the, the diet taste a bit. Since I usually get a diet soda. Yeah, me me too. I mean, I guess I picked, what, Coke Zero with cherry, just as weirdly specific. So, uh, okay, interesting. I bet it goes really good with your little pick. (laughs) Diet Dr. Pepper? (laughs) Yeah. Sure, you could, uh, you know, chug down some DDP while listening to... Uh, the latest album by The Smile, <laughs> a light for attracting attention. Um, the Smile is not Radiohead, but it sure sounds like Radiohead. I keep hearing this on KXP yeah. and be like, is this a Radiohead song? It's like pretty much Radiohead because uh, if you don't know, it's a band consisting of Tom York and Johnny Greenwood. Uh... And also the drummer, Tom Skinner, who plays in a band called Sons of Comet. I think I listened to their album. I don't know. They're like a jazz band. Um, and I've kind of like noticed that there have been like a bunch of good jazz artists coming out of the UK the last few years. So that's like kind of cool that, that Tom York and Johnny Greenwood are like tapping into the London jazz scene. Although... Uh, it's not like I can really tell the difference of him drumming as compared to um, whatever that guy's name Phil is. Selway? Phil Selway. And his clone? He has you a clone? You don't talk about? <laughs> I don't, actually. I feel like all Radiohead uh, live performances, like post maybe King of Limbs, there's like two drummers. That makes sense. And there's a there's a guy. The other drummer's also bald, so it's Phil Solway's clone. That's fun. Um, but yeah, no, I was surprised how much I like this album. Um, since I'm kind of, I don't know, I, I just haven't been quite sure where I stand on Radiohead. <laughs> Maybe just because I haven't really listened to that much of their music the last few years. Perhaps because they haven't come up come out with an album since 2016 uh a moon shaped pool which i just listened to this week for the first time probably since 2016 um and i don't know i guess some some of the songs on uh the smile album kind of remind me of it just in that like you can tell johnny greenwood likes to sort of incorporate his his uh, movie scoring, like orchestral tendencies, into Radiohead now. But like at the same time, there's also some songs that are are a little more kind of just like a straight up rock vein, or have like a sort of like jazzy, I don't know, kind of looseness to them, where it it, it feels like these guys were kind of jamming around, just having fun, playing with each other instead of like carrying the weight of making. <laughs> another radio it had album which of course has like a certain amount of expectations to it um and i don't know i guess something just like 
really special happens when Tom York and Johnny Greenwood get together because it's just like I don't know it has that 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 magic touch that a Radiohead album has that I don't feel like any of Tom York's side projects quite have not that I've listened to all of them uh but yeah I'm I'm enjoying it I want to check it out but I've been so hesitant because I haven't liked most uh, Radiohead side projects. Yeah, I feel like I've heard a mm. lot of them. I've even I haven't heard Ed O'Brien's <laughs> album. Wow. That was probably one of the most disappointing ones. <laughs> I really wanted him to pull like to pull that one off. So I like him. Whoa, he's the secret. I feel like he's kind of the. Mo- Would you say he's the most underrated member of Radiohead? Uh, maybe. I guess because I don't. I sometimes don't know it's what like he adds really. Well, I re- backup vocals, but his backup vocals sound exactly yeah. like Tom York's. Yeah. But like, I feel like he's kind of like their utility player. Like, there's some mm-hmm. like on Fifteen Step, he just claps. He doesn't even like play an instrument. <laughs> but I've always liked him. I always like how he's like a giant compared to the other guys. He's like so much bigger <laughs> than everyone else. I think he's like six five. Yeah. Um. But this, from what I've at least heard, like in snippets on KXB, uh, definitely sounds more like in the like what I'm used to. So I'm interested. Yeah. Definitely gonna check. I'm ex- yeah, I'm excited. I didn't know the actual album. I'd heard uh, two of the songs because they released them as singles like pretty early on in the year. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm pretty familiar with uh, "You Will Never Work in Television Again" and one one. other song. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely gonna check out. I actually had a little Radiohead uh, moment last year because they put out um, a, uh, a like a I don't know collector's edition. I don't know what you call it. A re-release, a reissue of uh, mm-hmm. Kid A and Amnesiac uh, together as Kid A Amnesia. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Is that just both of the albums put together as a double album? What is that? It's it's that, and then there's like a third you know side that's like um unreleased b-sides and stuff Mm. yeah i was listening to some uh amnesiac earlier this year because i'm always trying to give that album more of a chance because there is some songs on it i really like but it really does just i know they say like this isn't just like the b-sides of kid a but it still feels like that to me (laughs) (laughs) um and uh, because of that re-release last year, they did put Pyramid Song in Fortnite. So I have oh. that a lot of the time when I boot up Fortnite. That's my loading screen song. So that's cool. Dude, that's pretty... That's kind of foreboding to have that. It's your... it's very scary. I mean, it was appropriate because <laughs> it, it, like, uh, it was like November. You know, it was like the end of the year. I mean, it was like around Halloween time <laughs> that that came out. Man, that's got to be a lot more intense than hearing like aliens. That's where I want to. <laughs> wow, cool. I, I yeah, cool. I should get back uh, and the, yeah. the smile. Why not, dude? Yeah, why not? What have you got to lose? Uh, speaking of losing, let's talk about. Uh, Box office bomb, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, I I usually like to start with a, a background section, but mm-hmm. 
with with the Wachowskis, we've we've talked about them a couple times. Um, there's, there's not much more to say um, as as far as the uh, the backstory of this particular project. Um, I know that uh, around the time they were working on Cloud Atlas, uh, Warner Brothers president Jeff Robinov, um got in touch with the Wachowskis and asked them. Uh, if they were interested in developing uh, an original IP, um, something that could launch a franchise for them. Um, and uh, so that was kind of the, the starting point, was just that, like, let's do something new and original. Um, and they were drawn into um, working with the ideas um, that were uh, centered to some of Lana's favorite books, which are... Uh, Homer's Odyssey and also The Wizard of Oz, um, and, the, and it seems like they they were inspired by them for opposite reasons. Um, the Odyssey because uh, it's a story about a character that goes on like a spiritual journey and comes out of it a changed man, uh, and Wizard of Oz uh, because it's Dorothy is basically the same person. She starts the movie as and ends the movie uh, without really. Um, changing as a character and uh they liked that aspect um of dorothy because they wanted to upend the sci-fi trope of a like stoic uh emotionally stunted uh tough guy as your hero uh, so basically they wanted to make like an anti-paul atreides um <laughs> as their as their main character to their original ip just a question yeah i was watching this i was thinking like how many times has there been an original ip like launched particularly in the sci-fi fantasy realm like lately that's become oh, a lately franchise just in the last 10 15 20 years <laughs> even that's not based off a book or a comic or a older movie or something I mean, the only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Avatar, but even that is still only one installment at the moment. Oh, yeah, that actually launched a franchise. That's really hard. It was just like a completely original idea that was only uh, there, like I mean, there's, up as a screenplay. There are one-offs, right? Like uh, Oblivion. Or, uh, or like Gravity was a big hit. Yeah, Interstellar. Although I would argue Gravity's not science fiction since it's set, yeah, in, it's set in reality. Sure. Um, There's two I, Independence Days. <laughs> 20 years apart. <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. Oh, oh and well, and, and The Matrix, I guess. That's oh, the yeah. obvious one here. Oh, oh, and uh, oh, guys, how can we forget the Chronicles of Riddick, right? <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely correct. There's probably another just, one of those hanging around in, in one of uh, Vin Diesel's like leather-bound like books that are like has, you have to get a key to unlock it to read the script. You guys have heard that story, right? I have not. Vin Diesel like going into some meeting with like these three leather bound scripts but they're like there's a key to each one <laughs> and he's talking about how this is like his Lord of the Rings trilogy 
But like you can only open them if you green light all three. Without wow. Obviously that didn't happen though, so <laughs> I don't know if Chronicles of Riddick was like the first one of those three volumes. Uh, maybe Babylon AD was one of those. I have a feeling that third Riddick movie wasn't in one of those stories in in the leather bound uh, locked uh, scripts either because of the fact that that seemed like they were scaling it back again. Um, but I don't know, man. Oh, I guess the the well, it's not in sci-fi fantasy, but there are the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> yeah, the Vin Diesel is the champion of original IP. Yeah. Sure. Yikes! Although, uh, they, although they are, he's also, he's also kind the of, Avatar. They're kind of in the sci-fi realm at this point. Yeah, they did drive a car into space, so I think that counts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty ambitious. Like that, that was the one thing about watching this movie. Even though I wasn't the biggest fan of it, I was just like, I can't believe like this got made. Yeah, and I guess I do wonder from from what you just said is like, I guess maybe this the head of Warner Bros was just like, well, they did it once with the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, maybe they can do it again. Um, and and to their credit, this did make more money than any of the other movies they've made since the third Matrix movie uh, including the fourth Matrix movie although I don't think it's really fair to count the box office of that since everyone could stream it at home um, yeah. so th- I don't think they were that far off it's just for whatever I mean it didn't help that this came out in February um, it was released against uh, some you know real big deal movies uh, like Spongebob movie Sponge Out of Water and Seventh Son do you guys remember this? the movie where Jeff Bridges is a wizard kind of Jeff Bridges is a wizard (laughs) yeah it starred uh, Kit Harington from Game of Thrones is it like a funny tone or is it pretty serious? it looked pretty serious dang well no I don't remember this Seventh Son sounds bad well, uh, well, Jupiter Ascending did beat Seventh Son at the box office. Okay, that's good. Yeah, did did it get? Uh, did but did SpongeBob beat it? SpongeBob beat it, and so did um, the seventh weekend of American Sniper. God, <laughs> that movie sucks. Well, America loved it. <laughs> uh, and this was just before President's Day, I think. Um, New movies came out on Presidents Day weekend and kind of wiped everything out. Um, oh, but yeah, I wanted to. So I, I'm, I mentioned that the uh, the influence were the the Odyssey and uh, and the Wizard of Oz. And the weird coincidence there is that Sean Bean is in this, and he played Odysseus in Troy. Um, so, like, there's that connection there. Um, and also, their inspiration for having a dog man as one of the main characters was Toto. Uh, I have a Lana Wachowski quote: "Dorothy has protector Toto, who's always barking at everyone," and that was the origin for Kane. So, pr- pretty good. Well, like Toto, but if they took the relationship one step further, one step further. Uh, if they if they made the subtext the text, I did want to talk about the the three stars because i was look i was looking for like uh as colin pointed out 
and and, and we we couldn't think of an example of original sci-fi ip yeah. doing well so that's i think a big reason why this did not succeed yeah. um i also think the the three leads uh are an interesting reason for why it could have succeeded or failed because all three of them are kind of question marks for me um especially in 2015 because um, you have Channing Tatum, who is uh, you know a, a former uh, dancer and model, uh, who without any training in acting just becomes an actor uh, with movies like Step Up and She's the Man. Um, plays a soldier in a lot of things, uh, including the second and third GI Joe movies, I think. <laughs> Maybe that's right. Maybe it's the first and second. Um, by by 2015, uh, he's working on that Gambit movie that's that's coming out any day now, uh, and he's <laughs> and he's also uh, really coming off of the, uh, some actual praise for his his acting, both in the comedy realm with uh, the the 21 Jump Street movies. Uh, and also in the in the realm of dramas, because he was in uh, Foxcatcher, uh, giving I think a a genuinely good performance uh, with some other funny people that are also good in that. Um, so you, you go to Jupiter Ascending, and you think, is this is this going to be what what turns this star into a superstar? I guess we'll find out. Um, and, and similarly, uh, Jupiter herself, Mila Kunis, uh, is someone who, uh, interestingly, had a ton of success on TV, like, extremely early on in her career. Like, apparently she lied about being 18 years old to get cast on that 70s show. Uh, so she was, like, a child. Um, and she had that, and also Family Guy, uh, uh, making her bank on TV. Um... Well, but, let's not forget Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, the straight-to-video movie. Yeah. The, One the, of my favorites as a kid. Uh, I'm sure the, those are the big royalty checks he looks for every, every <laughs> month. Despite that success on television, she's not really able to, to pivot that into uh, a, a big uh, movie career. Uh, she starred in movies like Max Payne, a video game adaptation, uh, The Book of Eli... Uh, Friends with Benefits, uh, which I remember came out against another movie that had the exact same concept. No strings attached. <laughs> no strings attached. I because I've seen that one, but I haven't seen Friends with Benefits. No strings attached. Who's the, who's the star in that one? The one you Is saw. Justin, Justin Timberlake. Well, no, he's in Friends with Benefits. Okay. No oh, strings attached. Is Isn't Ash- it Ashton Kutcher? That was Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. And Natalie Portman. So yeah. So there's so many connections there. So no strings attached is also an In Sync album, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it's hilarious. And uh, Natalie Portman <laughs> goes on to star with Mila Kunis as the same person, basically in Black Swan. A yeah. Few years after cool. That. Wow. I love it. I love this. Um, well, and also two people from uh, that '70s show. Yeah, who are now who married are, in real now life. Married, have children that are dirty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, kind of where I was going with with Mila Kunis. Is that she's also she's got the black swan, so she's finally like 
in a movie getting praised for a dramatic performance, just like Channing Tatum. Uh, and then uh, our third lead is Eddie Redmayne, and he uh, is, uh, you know, like a lot of British actors, worked his way up from the stage to the screen. Uh, he's had um, some smaller parts uh, in in extremely British movies like Elizabeth the Golden Age and Savage Grace and the other Boleyn Girl. Um, and then he's uh, he's finally got... Uh, uh, a bigger role in the uh, Les Miserables adaptation that comes out in 2012. Um, and then uh, a hugely praised performance in The Theory of Everything, which uh, will have come out just before uh, Jupiter Ascending, uh, and, and also the same year in 2015, he'll also star in uh, The Danish Girl, a movie that... Uh, aged poorly faster than any movie I think ever <laughs> in history. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like by the time it had been nominated for an Oscar, we we're like, oh, whoops, no, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cloud Alice aged pretty poorly, but yeah. that might have already been like <laughs> in poor taste, like on arrival. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because it's three stars that I don't think any of them are like bankable, but they're recognizable and people know they're good. So I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Did, did they tip the scale in any way for Jupiter Ascending or against it? Um, well, I don't think they went, ag- well, maybe against, I don't know. I, I can't. I mean, this is 2015, right? This is at mm-hmm. the point where st- like stars don't matter anymore. That's true. It, it doesn't really but, matter who you but, are. But, John, yeah. if they made this today and Kane was played by Tom Holland, this makes $2 billion at the box. Office. I don't know. Did Uncharted do that well? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I was just thinking about, like, well, like if this starred Scarlett Johansson, would it have yeah. done better? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say if uh, that kind of casting has um, that dramatic of an impact anymore. So I, I definitely don't think they uh, choosing them was a mistake, but I don't think it was like a uh, uh, added any bonus points either. Yeah, <laughs> didn't really do anything. This is an impossible movie to get people excited about. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, I think hurts it is that like. Yeah, there's really no hook to this story, really. Like, there's no, like, oh, that's a really unique sci-fi idea. It's all kind of, like, I don't know, a little adjacent to other sci-fi See, I, I, I think movies. there, I think there is a hook, but they don't play it up enough. For me, the hook is, like, yeah. what if suddenly you were the owner of Earth? Mm-hmm. But, like, that sounds like the setup to, like, a Douglas Adams novel, you know? Like, <laughs> right. I, this would be, like, a great comedy, but or, it's, it's, it plays it, you know, pretty sincere, um, which is fine. Like, I would rather it be sincere than be, like, like, like mugging and, and smirking <laughs> its way through. Because I've definitely seen, like, sci-fi movies that are, like, try to be serious and silly, yeah. For some reason, the first yeah. one that comes to mind is the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, 
Whereas, like, mm. can you believe we're in this movie? But then also, like, trying to take it super serious. Or like, that. Yeah. this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd rather something like this where it's like, we're just going to be totally straightforward about all this ridiculous stuff. But then, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, you have that whole scene, though, where they're going through, like, all the paperwork to try to prove that she's, like, the, the ruler, the owner of Earth. That mm. stuff's fun. I want more of that. Yeah. Well, and it's... It's so extremely Brazil that they even have uh, uh, Terry Gilliam show up at the end of that scene. Yeah. That was wild. Playing, as he always does, a weird little man. Anytime he ever acted. Weird little man character. Uh, yeah, some great like looks and, and weird-looking characters in this movie. I was just going to say, I will say from a conceptual standpoint, though, yeah, it's like... It's hard to like hone in specifically like what is appealing to this movie for people. Mm-hmm. And you don't have like the built-in audience of like, oh, this is based on a oh, you don't understand. sci-fi novel. It's weird yeah. too because it feels like if it's so jam-packed that it feels like we're just trying to get everything in from the novel. But there is no novel. That's kind of the thing. Like I got the <laughs> feeling from this movie that there was more lore like beneath the surface <laughs> that could have been unpacked and like maybe it was in like outlines or earlier versions of the screenplay. There's three leather there. bound scripts with keys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like they were trying to do something a little more accessible and mainstream after making um Cloud Atlas that yeah. like there's just not a lot of over-explaining of, of the rules of the world. I think any time in a movie you see a character go to a place, do nothing, go to another place, do nothing, and then go back <laughs> to the first place, you know that something was cut out. It was important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also... Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I think the Wachowskis do get credit for being innovative filmmakers but um i think people focus that entirely on um the matrix and we've talked about before how they have continued to be innovative in movies like speed racer um so i just wanted to mention here uh, for this movie they helped uh invent a process called panocam where uh they create a ring of cameras which is then mounted to a helicopter and then flown around um, and what this allows uh, the directors to do is they have basically 180 degrees uh, to work with. So they can um, then choose exactly which part of the frame uh, they want to use uh, to, to set up their, their scene. So basically you can fly, you know, like straight down a path, but you can move the camera around virtually through the 180 degrees of footage you have. Uh, and, and create um, a dynamic scene, and this is used um, especially heavily during the um, the lengthy uh, Chicago uh, aerial chase sequence, um, which I think was for me the highlight of the movie. I was um, a lot. Uh, I was I was kind of worried going into it we wouldn't get a lot of um, hover roller skating, um, but we actually got uh, more than enough, uh, especially in, in that one scene. Uh, which also apparently took uh, six months of shooting every day to get that sequence done. Oh, uh, yeah. I about that. Which is crazy. Um, 
but uh, but that's what it takes to do things practically that other people would just do with digital doubles on a computer. Um, uh, and then the weirdest uh, behind-the-scenes thing I learned is that, uh, well, uh, you guys might have picked up on Michael Giacchino being the one who did the uh, the score. I feel like he's got a, a kind of a distinct sound. Um, but did you know that score was uh, the inspiration for a uh, local uh, dancer named uh, Kyle Davis, who, along with the Pacific Northwest Ballet here in Seattle, uh, created an original ballet called A Dark and Lonely Space, set to the score of uh, Jupiter Ascending in 2018. Wow. No, I didn't know that. That's, <laughs> yeah. wow. Is that something that happened more recently, or is that something that happened closer to the time of the film? It happened in 2018, so a few years after the film. Okay, wow. No, yeah, I didn't know about that. Cool. Do they have uh, floating roller skates in that ballet? (laughs) Uh, It doesn't sound like it's really based on the plot of the movie. It's more about uh, planets and space shit. Okay. Um, Speaking of that, I think it's interesting the movie does not begin in space. Uh, One of the the more interesting twists, I I think, is that... uh, Jupiter's parents are uh, two humans that we meet uh, in uh, in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, as one night, uh, James Darcy uh, from Cloud Atlas is uh, is using his telescope to look at the stars, and uh, he meets a woman and they fall in love. Uh, and he insists they name their daughter Jupiter because it's just the best planet. Such a bad name, Jupiter. <laughs> The only other ca- character in any media I can think of named Jupiter is that there's a cannibal named Jupiter and the hills have eyes. It's a weird name. Um, my uh, character in Final Fantasy XIV I named Jupiter. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's fun. He's a buddy man. Um, it, it's also weird because they didn't dig into the fact that Jupiter is also uh, the Roman name for Zeus. Like you're also naming him after or her, naming her after a uh, a god. That's kind of weird. But she prefers Jupe. She like, prefers Jupe. No. Jupe Jones. <laughs> what an American name. <laughs> um. So yeah. So one night, um, Jupiter's parents um are just hanging out at home, and I guess robbers break into their apartment. And they try to steal a bunch of stuff, including uh, her dad's telescope. And they shoot the dad, which causes the mom to uh, decide to leave the country and go to America, uh, where she gives birth to Jupiter midway through the journey in international waters, which uh, ironically does make Jupiter a quote-unquote alien in the United States. Isn't that, isn't that cute, guys? That's cute. That's clever. <laughs> I like cute. that. Mm-hmm. So then the movie jumps ahead a few years and Jupiter has become a uh, housekeeper along with her, I guess, like moms and and aunts and and other family members. Um, And she uh, she hates her life scrubbing toilets. Uh, But she does have one friend and that is uh, Catherine Dunleavy, uh, who is, uh, I guess, like rich or something. Like maybe maybe she works for her. 
like she, she cleans her house, but they're also friends. And this character is played by Vanessa Kirby, uh, who I feel like always gets the short end of the stick in movies. Uh, I'm glad she got to do Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, but in this movie, she's in her underpants the entire time, so that's not great. Um, and also, it's not great is the fact that uh, while they're hanging out, Catherine and Jupiter get uh, frozen and molested by little gray men. I like that they're the old school like little guys. <laughs> I like that too. Not enough little guys. Just those little gray you know, men. Oh, you know that... Fa- I- I hate to go on a tangent, but I will. So when I, earlier when I said Dragonheart, like yeah. I thought it would one mm-hmm. visual effects. Here's no, it didn't. It got beat by Independence Day as it should. It's a much superior yeah. looking film. What made me mad is that Dragonheart got a nomination, but Mars Attacks no nomination. Oh, totally fucked over. Mars Attacks much better looking movie uh, than Dragonheart. Uh, but- and I like little little aliens. But with Independence Day, they were already nominating an alien movie, so they had to get a dragon movie to You're, balance I think out the that, I think that's that's the logic there, but it just sucked. Because Dragonheart looks like shit. It looked like shit back then. I saw it in theaters. I was like, this looks like shit. Um, looks like shit now. That's why no one talks about it. But everyone's talking about those little aliens. Those little aliens. Just like little aliens in this movie. I like little aliens. We don't see them enough. Maybe we're going to see some little aliens. And nope, fingers crossed. Uh, it's just not something I would expect to see in this movie that has more exotic designs to see, like yeah. those guys <laughs> popping up. Uh, you might also be wondering, like I did, um, hey, I thought that all the aliens in this movie were humans or humans that are spliced with an animal. How do we have little gray men? What are they spliced with? And the answer is, I couldn't find out. They're just little gray <laughs> men for, for some reason. Man, you're getting me really excited. <laughs> It's, I thought you were going to say, like, they're, they're the normal, like, baseline species. Um, there is we're, a Jupiter Ascending Wikia, uh, and they're called Keepers, and it's maybe the shortest article on the whole Wikia. Is, it's like one paragraph. It's just like, they're just little gray guys. <sighs> Not What's your problem? movies as little gray guys. <laughs> See, that's what happens when a movie didn't get to have, like, a whole fandom or franchise built around it. Like, some things you just can't explain. Yeah. There'd be a movie just with the little guys. Yeah. Be a Disney Plus series. (laughs) The little guys. The little guys. Or the keepers or whatever. (laughs) And Sean Bean shows up and everyone's like, Yeah, bring Sean Bean back. It's Stinger! Kill him off in the first season, though. Stinger would have his own series. Oh on yeah, HB, like HBO Max, like a Stinger. Mind your like, beeswax series. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate them trying to like, yeah, like we got this guy Stinger. He's like like part B. <laughs> they're, they're, they're making an effort with some of these characters. It's fun. Yeah, sure. Um. So uh, while this is going on, I. Th- I th- think it's around this time we get to also meet the three main alien siblings um i would love it if you guys know any of their names i'm talking okay. about ed uh, eddie okay. redvane and his brother and his sister. i remember i remember the sister even because i i don't i haven't seen her much but i i feel like she has the name that is the female equivalent to, uh, to benedict cumberbatch tuppence middleton yeah 
the best. And she was my favorite of the siblings, too. Um, I don't know. I just, I just like the energy she brought. And the, the yeah. young guy, I didn't know the actor's name, but I have seen him in something. He was in The Dirt playing Nikki Six. Yeah. He's got some uh, real creep energy in this. Uh, hopefully that's all just the performance. Uh, yeah. I thought he was good. And he played Nikki Six, the ultimate creep. So. <laughs> yeah. He's got a skill he's got a skill for that. Um Did you want me to name the actors or the character names? Oh either. I'll no, tell I you their I definitely their can't names. name the Well the last name is everyone they're like a brass a brass six or something. Brass. A brass yeah, that uh, a Santana X. album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just like I saying that right. Um Brassix. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eddie Redmayne is uh, Balam, I think. God, was it Balam? I think it's Balam. Balam, okay. Then we have uh, Titus, the other boy, um, and then the Tuppence Middleton plays Kalik. Kalik, okay. Um, and so what's going on with them is that uh, their uh, their mom has died, um, and so her empire is kind of up for grabs between the three of them. Um and it's it's kind of implied at this point that she was murdered, and it's like she has two normal kids, and then one kid who only whispers and yells, and he has dragons. So it's like I wonder which one's the evil. Uh, why is he, yeah, why does he talk like that? Why does he talk like that? It's, is it because he's spending too much time in the mines? <laughs> it's, it's just a, a choice he made. I don't hate the performance, but it is pretty silly. I don't know. I don't love it either. I'm just it doesn't do anything for me. I yeah. it's I guess it's something. I remember it, so Yeah. It's got that. Just like the story of Eddie Redmayne's career. <laughs> I don't hate it. He's doing something. But like I don't love it. But I'll put up with it. Cause he's just there. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed the uh, uh, space orgy that we saw Titus have, where he, him and his alien girlfriends are like floating mm-hmm. around. Um, <laughs> and in that one scene, uh, you'll also get to meet his assistant character, who I only call out because she's played by Gugu Mbathu Ra uh, from Loki, which I talked about earlier in this podcast. So she was there, just doing stuff. And the iconic. The Cloverfield Paradox. Ugh, yes. <laughs> what year did that come out? Twenty eighteen. Oh, hey, there's a there's a sort of good. sci-fi series, the Cloverfield <laughs> movies. Yeah. <laughs> a fucking mess of a franchise. It's only a franchise because they grabbed other movies and slapped Cloverfield <laughs> on the title. Yeah, so. but that, that's what happened with both of the sequels. Totally unrelated projects are like, I think this needs to be Cloverfield. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. Um, so meanwhile, Jupiter does not have any memory of her encounter uh, with the Grey Men. Uh, but she is convinced by her cousin Vladdy to sell her eggs at a clinic. Um which people gloss over how creepy a request that is uh, from your cousin. Um, 
he gets yelled at later, but I feel like it should have been more off-putting at the time. Um, but uh, but Jupiter wants to go with it. Uh, she she likes this plan because uh, it'll give her enough spending money so that she can buy a, a telescope on eBay, uh, which I guess will help her connect with her father in some way. I don't know why she has to buy a five thousand dollar telescope on eBay specifically, but uh, you know the plot's got to move for some reason. So why not that? Um. So Jupiter goes to this clinic um, where she's using Catherine's name as an alias. Um, and this is something that I really struggle to understand is why are the gray men specifically going after Catherine uh, and not Jupiter? And it's as best as I can tell because they don't actually know the name Jupiter, even though they'll act like they know the name later. Um, they, they only know the name Catherine because, um, as an illegal immigrant, Jupiter has to use an alias, uh, on official forms. And so she's been using Catherine's name, uh, to, to do, uh, official things. And so that's, that's why that name is out there and not Jupiter Jones. Anyway, at the clinic, uh, it turns out all the doctors and nurses are actually little gray men. Uh, who uh, attempt to kill Jupiter, but she is uh, rescued by Cain Wise. Uh, his name is a pun because he's part canine. So they named him Cain. Uh, he rescues her and they go on an exciting escape through the cityscape of Chicago. Uh, the results in a lot of damage um, that is then... Uh, undone and uh, the memories of those who witnessed it erased as they escape out of the city. Um, so we've gone from sort of a Dune type story to Men in Black basically, complete with memory erasing technology. Um, and that continues as they uh, drive to the hideout of Stinger, uh, the Sean Bean character that is part honeybee um, and it is stinger that explains that uh, it turns out in this universe uh, which is just one of many in the multiverse humans are not originally from the planet earth they're actually from an alien world and uh, they were just seeded on the planet after uh, the dinosaurs were wiped out and also, Jupiter is royalty because when she moves around, the honeybees fly in the direction she's pointing. And also, she's never been stung by a honeybee in her life. So, I guess bee royalty and human royalty line up somehow in, in the galaxy. I, don't, I couldn't understand that part either. But I guess it's cool? Question mark? Uh, sure. sure. <laughs> Why not? It's okay. <laughs> I'm just I'm just all caught up on why Stinger doesn't look like a bee man. You because you're saying like Kane has the uh, the elf ears, which yeah. are kind of dog. Some of the people are like no. animal like, but Stinger just looks like a guy. But he's like he's part bee, you know. Yeah, he's part bee. Maybe you know? he's maybe he's got a little stinger. Oh, like he's <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be some where like, pulls down his pants. Yeah. And shows off his stinger. 
They were, they were saving that for the sequel. Well, if he uses it once, he'll die. So. That's true. Oh, but that'd be really so good. Resort. There'd be a scene where like he uses it, and it has to sacrifice. Exactly. Where no he choice. sits on someone heroically. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't think Kane. I didn't like Kane's look um, either. The elf ear. He, I thought he looked kind of stupid. I thought that's kind of embarrassing He's, role for Chetty Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> he should have looked way. He should look like a werewolf. Yeah, I didn't like his stupid little beard. <laughs> There's a movie from the 90s called Freaked. It's directed and starring Alex Winter. Uh, about nice. people who are in a freak show. And he like, gets turned into a freak and ends up in this freak show. And there's a dog man in that who is literally like half dog. Like he has a dog, like heavy dog makeup. He's played by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> of course. Um, and he looks great. And I'm like, that's what they should have done. <laughs> also in this movie is Mr. T as the bearded lady. <laughs> some of the people are like too like this could not exist like this is like a m- weird monster this couldn't exist in reality um, oh, kind of interesting movie though I'm gonna look up Freaked Dog Boy um, but yeah he just looks like a handsome elf boy okay no this dog boy does not look as good as I remember <laughs> it kind of looks like he's wearing blackface <laughs> okay never mind <laughs> maybe they made the right call yeah now you know what happened with the Academy voters in Dragonheart. They didn't have the screeners like they do now. If Freak had gotten more exposure, it probably would have won an Oscar. I feel like there's so many movies that like get nominated for awards for like having incredibly offensive like transformations. <laughs> like there's just such a rich history of like actors like winning Oscars for playing other races and stuff. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, rich history is a fun way to put it. The richest. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to send you guys a picture of Keanu Reeves from Freaked, and you be the judge of whether or not that is. Ex- uh, it's, I'm beginning to think it's not how. <laughs> he's not supposed to, He's just supposed to be a dog man. But it doesn't look like <laughs> wrong. It just looks like a black guy with a, with a weird beard. Ugh. Yeah, it looks like a black exploitation werewolf movie. It's it's not good. Um, Why does he have the dumb like police captain's hat? I don't know. I've never seen. I've seen parts of it. But I've never seen the whole thing. <laughs> well, there's a guy who's literally just a cow man in this. Um, so I th- this was the part of the movie that I had the hardest time working out, which was the allegiances of all the characters uh, who were hunting Jupiter. Um, yeah, so Kane is working for Titus. the young, handsome brother, right? Yes. But he doesn't, like, know his intentions are bad, like he's going to kill her. He just want, He just knows that he wants to marry her? I don't remember what he knows. Does he know okay. anything? So, here's how I worked it out. And I'm okay. not sure that I'm correct, but this is as best as I know. All right. So, let's start with the little gray men. They were sent by Titus and Balam together um, because Kalik was not interested in fucking up Jupiter's life, but they were. And so together they sent the little gray men. But on the side, they also sent their own people to try to capture her on their own instead of having to split having captured her with their brother. So Titus had Cain... 
Um, and then also later we'll find out Stinger working for him. But Kane, when he finds out that Jupiter is not just a person, but she's actually royalty, uh, he switches his loyalty from Titus to Jupiter and just wants to protect her. Balam, on the other hand, has his own guys, um, which are the three bounty hunters that I haven't talked about because they don't do anything important until this scene. Um, oh, yeah. One of them is Duna Bay. Yeah, from Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Um, and what happens is the bounty hunters are the ones that end up capturing Jupiter from Stinger's hideout, but they also betray one of the bounty hunters, and we find out that the other two that live, including Duna Bay, were actually working for Kalik all along. So actually all three siblings were trying to capture Jupiter. It's just she was more sneaky about it than her brothers. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the two bounty hunters end up bringing um, Jupiter to Kalik um, and also um, what will set up basically what he does the rest of the movie uh, Kane stows away on the ship and then will come in and bust in at the last second to save her that's basically all he does for the rest of the movie is, is exactly that um, but, yeah, I think like uh, there's multiple scenes where he just enters on like rocket skates to save her to save her yep that's <laughs> happens at least twice um, so uh, Kalik starts to explain more about how the universe works um, by showing off the fact that she can get in a bathtub and come out without her Cloud Atlas makeup on anymore. Um, so she goes in looking kind of old and she comes out looking very, very young. I didn't even realize at first that she was supposed to be old. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's Cloud Atlas makeup. It's not perfect. Yeah. They're just doing their best. I'm like, oh, I see now. But yeah. Um, and, and she explains also that the reason that Jupiter is royalty is because she is an exact genetic match to their dead mother. So it turns out it's not like the circumstances of your birth that matter. It's just literally your DNA code, which is like even worse, I think, because <laughs> it's, it's even a more random chance. That uh, entitles you to uh, immense power. Uh, I, I don't know why every sci-fi franchise insists on this concept of uh, you have to be born great. You can't just become a great person. Um, but here it is in this movie too. Uh, just by random chance, her DNA is identical to the dead mom. So she gets to be the owner of Earth. Um, so Kane busts in um, on his skates, but also Kalik doesn't seem to like really care, and so they just kind of leave without much of a fight. Um, this is when uh, they team up with the space police to fly to the space capital to do the Brazil sequence. Um, I did not bother to learn the names of any of the space police characters. Wait, so uh, who like do space another. cops work for? So the space cops don't work for anybody because they're space cops. They're like independent. Um, I guess. 
they work for themselves. Oh, but real, uh, like real cops. Their yeah, their their function right now is just to bring Jupiter to the space capital, where she can go through space bureaucracy to get her space tattoo to prove that she's the space queen of Earth. Which she does. Favorite uh, part of the movie is is this part of the movie. Yes, I like this she stuff. montages through it. I like their weird robot helper guy who has like a weird like t- future tinted hairstyle. Yes. Uh, that is Advocate Bob, played by Samuel Barnett. Yeah. And there's a fun, weird scene where he meets another Bob in the middle of this montage, and they both that are like, "That was weird. Oh. I was sure I was supposed to take away from that." <laughs> yeah, it's just there. Um, yeah, that was the moment where I was like, "I wish this was the whole movie." Like, hmm. I mean, I think with this movie, either go full silly or full serious, and this movie went full serious, and it's fine. Um, but I think the silly version, like if this had a more Men in Black tone, would have been pretty fun. I don't know if the. I, yeah. mean, I think they could have nailed it too, because Speed Racer's pretty silly. Yeah, it was a little surprising that this movie was a little more kind of straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> sincere well, tone when like yeah, Speed Racer is sillier. Like Cloud Atlas at moments definitely indulges kind of the Wachowskis' sense of humor. As does like the new Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely seems like kind of a trademark of their later movies. It's a little bit of a reverence. Well, you know what the problem is. What exposition? <laughs> yeah, we didn't have time for anything fun because it was just action scenes and then people explaining the plot to each other. Basically, from the second they leave Chicago to the end of the movie, they're still explaining things. And the movie ends, and they're still explaining things. Um, For example, after Jupiter leaves uh, the space capital, uh, she gets abducted by Titus, uh, who uh, explains to her that the bath stuff that makes you young... Is made from people like Soylent Green. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's 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 the dark secret of how space capitalism works: is that you uh, load a planet up with uh, humans until you hit like critical overpopulation, and then you harvest the humans and somehow turn them into goo that you can use to make yourself get younger, like in in time. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm just imagining a Silent Green remake in my mind because I've already I've already cast it in my head. And okay, I, well, let's I, hear it. I, I think it's got to be Samuel L. Jackson now. <laughs> a new Silent Green. It's motherfucking people. Oh, I thought I thought you meant as the old guy. <laughs> no, as the star. The old guy can wow. be. Um, He's Steve got to be Mc- really Stephen McKinley Henderson, who might even be younger. <laughs> I, I bet he is. <laughs> <laughs> but he just he has the energy of uh, uh yeah energy robinson i think i've just made a great movie that sounds pretty good yeah just gotta get in touch with sam's people uh yes Stephen mckinley henderson is one year younger Jeez. than samuel <laughs> jackson. jackson just looks great Stephen mckinley henderson has always looked old um as long as i've at least been aware of him 
It's a little schlubbier. Uh, yeah, that's, you, that's so hard to get somebody who's older. I uh, and who's like could, older could still seventy. I mean, like Morgan Freeman. Jones, I guess Morgan Freeman. There you go. Why does it have to be two black guys? <laughs> Is this just black silent soiling green? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, why not? I mean, I'm, I'm into hey, it, but I'm just not sure what the logic is there. <laughs> why does it have to be an older black I guess guy? I forgot that they weren't like related in the original. They yeah. were just friends. That's the thing I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, see. who else could... I guess you get like Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my God. Sure. This is a really great movie now. <laughs> Especially if you get the F-bomb in the classic line. Um... Is one of you on Steve McKinley Henderson's Wikipedia page? Um, I can get there. Well, I, I was I'll, just on it. I'll, I'm going to go. Up his age. Can, can you confirm that his picture is still like an out of focus shot of him? It is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Henderson presenting at Amherst Central this High sucks. School. Sucks. <laughs> March 29th, 2018. I feel like there's just not a lot of these like shitty out of focus pictures on Wikipedia anymore, it, and it, I love it, that they're when they're still around. It really yeah. looks like a picture that was taken from really far away and then zoomed in. <laughs> it's terrible. But, like he was clearly just doing like a talk at a school, and one of the students in the audience who was in the in the back row took a picture of him on his flip phone. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Titus explains that he also uh, proposes to Jupiter because he says that uh, in the end their mother uh, decided this was bad, and he thinks it's bad now too, and so they should marry each other so that their um, if one of them dies, they can like uh, inherit each other's uh, estates, um, which is weird because she's genetically identical to his mom i i don't know how it works but you shouldn't marry your mom right uh yeah but these people are weird so it's okay (laughs) it's okay if you're a bad guy yeah oh and then immediately in the scene after this titus is like kane i hired you to bring her to me you didn't do it so i'm gonna tell you the truth uh, I'm going to marry her and then instantly kill her so I can control Earth, and then I'm going to launch your ass into space, which he does, but it doesn't matter. Kane is fine. Um, then there's an elaborate wedding scene, which I feel like was just in the movie for the trailer, just to be like, look at these locations and outfits we can put in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and once again, Kane flies in at the last second. Uh, Kind of like The Graduate, not really a sci-fi movie, but, you know, I'll take it. Um, nobody is able to really put up a fight because um, he has the space cops and Stinger on his side. Uh, by the way, there's like a subplot where Stinger betrayed them and then feels bad about it. So he's back on their side. Um, and Juber decides not to have Kane kill Titus. Instead, she wants to go home. But she can't go home because while this has been going on, uh, Balam sent his dragon man to kidnap Jupiter's family. So they have to go to dun 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 Jupiter. Jupiter. <laughs> um, I think it's really weird that uh, this guy lives 
on Jupiter. Uh, first of all, because it's a gas giant, so you can't you can't have a human body and live on Jupiter; you'd just be crushed. But oh, it's, you can't second, stand on Jupiter. No, there's no there's nothing to stand on. All I know all I know about Jupiter is it's got that big fucking storm on it. I, I didn't know you yeah, could stand the, on the Great it. Red Spot, which is where the refinery is. No, what yeah, you can would... you stand on? I'm gonna look this up. I know you can stand um, on Mercury, but it's like so fucking hot. Yeah, I mean you're right up in the sun. Yeah, business. you're fucking on fire, basically. <laughs> Planets you can stand on. Mer- uh, let's see. It could be possible for humans to walk on three planets of the solar system besides Earth, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. Really, Venus? Yeah. Oh, I thought Venus was another weird gas one. Okay, there you go. Not Jupiter. I didn't know this about Venus, though. Yeah. It's too bad that Pluto's so not women planet, can we be from Venus and men can be from Mars. It's possible. <laughs> Yeah, it all checks out. Um, so they go to visit uh, Balam, and he's like, uh, you should sign over Earth to me or I'll kill your family. And she's like, that's a good deal. Only leverage, you'll probably just kill us all as soon as I sign over the planet to you. And actually, you can't kill You still don't get Earth. Um, and so... Uh, you can tell a fight's coming because Kane comes sweeping in on his uh, hover skates one one last time uh, to, to start a fight. Um, and uh, basically they split up into two fights with him fighting the main dragon man um, with his cool go-through-the-floor technology. Uh, while Jupiter has a pretty lame fight with Balam. Um, I know they're inspired by like Dorothy, so she couldn't ha- like become a space badass in this movie. Uh, but like space law, as time went on, um, which is like it's kind of cool, but it's not that cool. It's a pretty weak fight, um, and it ends with uh, them all like f- flying off into into, I guess, towards Jupiter, um, which. It's, it's also a, a, another trope that I don't like is that uh, Jupiter makes a point of deciding not to kill uh, Balam and then immediately he falls to his death anyway. So it's like, oh, you're giving her the moral victory and killing the villain. She gets to have her cake and eat it too. It's just, it's just not very... I mean, if they were going to make a sequel, wouldn't you want to bring back this character? He's so essential to the fun. Um, anyway, Kane catches her and the family goes back to Earth and they have their memories erased. And so, uh, by the end of the movie, Jupiter is a housekeeper again, but she's happy about it because she secretly owns the planet. Um, and they gave Kane his wings back, which means he got to give his hover, uh, rollerblades to Jupiter. So she gets to learn how to fly on those. And that's how the movie ends with them. Doing a little smooch and then flying around, having fun. Doesn't he have angel wings? I mean, he doesn't have or dog he... wings. There's no such thing as dog wings. Well, what else would you call him? Angel wings sounds right to me. I'm just saying, like, he has angel wings. Where do those come from? Oh, they explain it at Stinger's place that uh, all the splicers, like, get wings. But then okay. uh, he got them taken away because he bit a guy's throat out. <laughs> 
there's a uh, there's a whole thing with Kane where they're like, when you are part canine, uh, you have to be part of a pack, and when you're not part of a pack, you either die or you become like the ultimate badass, and that's what happened to him. Was well, like he was able to live without a pack for such a long time. He's just like so badass, but now he's got his pack. But why would a dog have wings? Because all the splicers have wings. Like all, like everybody gets wings. If you're a soldier, you get wings. It's just so right. Okay, they got wings. It makes it easier to choose an animal if they're like. By the way, no matter what, you get wings. Well, then what's the point in being a bird man if you don't get the advantage of flight? Everyone has flight. You get to lay eggs. Free breakfast. That sounds terrible. That sounds painful. You gotta work for your breakfast. Unless they probably smell. Ugh. I'm not gonna eat an egg from my body. <laughs> you probably probably alien space egg. You know what? I think you're making the correct choice. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, let's think about this movie is um aside from that part where they're doing the paperwork and that funny idea of what if you own earth i don't really know why they wanted to make this movie like what is it in this story that they think is cool like that it's like a sci-fi wizard of oz i guess yeah that seems to be the it just appeal didn't seem that it didn't seem that different it felt like a a show that would be on Sci-Fi Channel, where I was like, "This is fine," but I don't. Mm-hmm. There's really, not a lot that separates it from other Sci-Fi shows. I just, I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't get like what was. I don't know. It was. It was fine. I think it was okay. I just, it, need, yeah. it was missing something. Yeah, good writing. <laughs> good writing. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I don't know. I just wonder if they were trying to do something a little more mainstream after Cloud Atlas. But, like, maybe that's not their strength. Yeah. It's like a crowd-pleasing uh, sci-fi blockbuster. I don't know. I, I just, just don't do mainstream movies. That's just not that, none of their movies are that mainstream. That's, that's the thing, yeah. It's just like they had this weird, like perfect uh i don't know (laughs) they just came out with this perfect movie at the right time with the matrix and it's like something like that doesn't come along twice usually (laughs) it's just really hard to replicate and uh that's that's fine i mean their other movies are interesting i think you could pick apart the matrix the same way i just picked apart jupiter ascending and and make the same sort of logical complaints i mean everybody has said at some point like it doesn't make sense to use humans as an energy source like it's just really impractical um so like the whole conceit of the movie doesn't work um it i i i my my conclusion has been they needed a additional writer who could come in and make like their ideas into an accessible story for for this whole thing to work um because Mm -hmm. uh what is working for me is the visuals i i think the movie looks really good and it has um action scenes that would like hold up well if you were just watching them on youtube or something uh because the problem i had with the action scenes i just didn't care about the story when they're happening um, not yeah. that they're done poorly. They're not. They're done, they're done really well. And, and like I said before, they're genuinely innovative action sequences too that are done 
Uh, practically, which is the thing everyone's always always says they want. I'm so sick of CGI fight scenes. Why can't we have more practical action sequences? Well, here they are, flopping hard. Yeah, action is fine. You know, as for the characters, I wish Jupe had a little more agency in her own story. Yeah. I feel like she's always being re- rescued or whisked away to somewhere else. I feel like she doesn't do enough on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, which like, is too bad, because I think the performances are mostly good, I guess. I don't think they're bad. I mean, I guess you could make the argument for Eddie Redmayne. I thought it was kind of fun. Anytime he's on screen, it had my attention. Yeah. it's. I think that's, to me, the... the great charm of the movie is watching him yell the dragon man it's <laughs> so goofy um, i like the dragon man i wasn't I, yeah i guess i thought he was a big lizard i didn't realize he had wings but i i, I guess i forgot that everything has wings <laughs> yeah cool cool dragon man we need more dragons that can talk in media yeah i, th- I think that'll uh wrap up this uh, conversation. I I did look up a goof that I thought was okay. that was funny. Um, apparently, there are shots of Jupiter's phone throughout the film. It's an iPhone, um, and sometimes it's iOS six, and sometimes it's iOS eight. Um, and I just think that's funny because like somebody updated the prop phone on accident, and they just were like, well, fuck, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> I'm just. That's got to be so annoying for the the prop people. It's fine. And also, there's a very very long goof. I couldn't even. I'm just gonna read it because it's so fucking okay. long. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Jupiter's father in Saint Petersburg has a brass bound telescope, an expensive antique with poor optics that would not be used by a serious amateur astronomer. These scenes must take place in the 1990s when Saint Petersburg was still recovering from the siege of Leningrad, the longest, most destructive, and most lethal siege in modern history. There were decades of severe economic depression with food rationing, infrastructure failures, and multiple families living together in communalkas, which is com- communal apartments, that would make uh, at most house a single family uh, in much of the rest of the world. So, people living in in, in tight conditions, it sounds like. Luxury items like modern telescopes would have been completely unattainable, and even antique telescopes with poor optics would have been seen as decadent, and would likely have been traded outright to benefit one's family, or, as in the film, stolen by others. So, what bothers me about this, besides the unnecessary details and the, the sheer length of this goof, uh, is the fact that it's not under the like, you know, they have a section that's like sometimes incorrectly regarded as a goof. It's not in that. It's just under anachronisms. And at the end, they point out this would be stolen, like what happens in the movie. So, like, what, what's your what's your beef, goof writer? What are you, what are you trying to do here? That's all. Uh... I, don't I think this person must have lived through this period in St. Petersburg and wants to be acknowledged <laughs> yeah. for for surviving it. Wants to get some thumbs up on IMDb to make it all worth it. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, well, I do have a John's Rogues Gallery. Wow. But I've I'm also been reading Venus Fun Facts, which is very <laughs> interesting. Space is pretty interesting, you guys. Yeah, I've heard. 
Apparently, so I was because I was wa- I was trying to figure out if you could walk around and just be chilling on Venus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can reach up to nine hundred degrees Fahrenheit. So Oof, unless they invent some sort of amazing spacesuit that can withstand that heat, like the ones they use in the core, the movie, we got to like Mister Freeze's. Yeah, we got to develop that technology. But then, even if we can get past that barrier, um, the the atmosphere is. Uh, it's, it says it's like being a mile underwater. You would get crushed to death just standing on the planet because the atmosphere is so intense. That's actually why um, it's the hottest planet because the atmosphere is so rough and the heat is so self-contained. Uh, so you'd, yeah, you'd be boiling and <laughs> smushed like a pancake. So. Kinda, it's always disappointing when I find out. It's like, oh, so you couldn't just like hang out there. You know. Like mm-hmm. just Mars, then, right? It's I guess just Mars. Mercury's too hot. Well, I just Mars. I think some people point at uh, some uh, some other moons as potential options. <sighs> like, don't don't rule out moons. There's a lot of them in the solar system. Can a moon? So, are all moons like our moon? That's just like a rock, or can moons like be like Endor? <laughs> <laughs> for the dense forest, I think a moon is just um, uh, is just a name for a natural satellite, uh, you know, something that is locked in orbit around a planet. Um. So what? So I mean, I, they ha- there are moons that aren't, um, just cratery masses. I think, I think there's some with that like um like metals and, and shit going on. Okay. Or uh, you guys remember that movie where the guys go to the moon and there's little monsters on the moon? It's like yeah. a found footage movie in space. <laughs> Maybe something like that. Uh, but we're talking about a big monster uh, of a man. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> it's the best transition I've ever done. I call this segment John's Rogues Gallery. God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, we got G- B- Balaam of Brass Six. Yeah. yeah we do. He's an evil doer. He's so bad. Ali- alias Balaam, Lord Balaam, or Balaam. Take your choice. I will. Uh, origin, Jupiter Sending. Occupation, yeah. Royal Member of the Abrasix Dynasty. Power slash skills, High Level Intelligence. Uses youth serum to stay young for multiple <laughs> millennia. Superhuman Classic. strength, superhuman speed, superhuman agility. Hobby: ruling Earth and harvesting planets. Goals: keep the Earth under his jurisdiction by any means necessary. Crimes: murder and matricide. Which one is that? Is that like when you kill your mom? You're married. Your mom. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and guys, can you guess the type of villains? Two words. Yeah, um, because he is basically Baron Harkonnen. I looked up Baron Harkonnen on Villains Wiki, and he is a hegemonic tyrant. So that's what I'm going with. Okay. Also, one of the funniest things about 
the Baron Harkonnen villains wiki still is the fact that one of his goals is stay alive parentheses failed <laughs> whoops <laughs> yeah I don't know uh, I guess this is a hyphenated word but power hungry royalty Ooh. oh okay well, he is an alien tyrant. Ah, I got tyrant, right? Yeah. You got tyrant. But, like, aren't we the aliens? We're, we're them. <laughs> I, don't know if that, I, mean, I don't know if that makes sense, actually. Well, but I think it's what they're doing, like, you know, like an illegal alien, like the, uh, the political definition of alien, because he's not from America. <laughs> but he is human. Yeah. They make a point of saying they're just as human as uh, Jupiter is. It's Jupe. That's right. Little Jupe. Little Jupe. Well, so we're getting close to the end of the season. I think we've got one more in us. John, you want to you wanna take this season home? Oh, sure. Um, so I've been kind of going on theme all year with us uh, commemorating certain anniversaries for certain movies. I, I, I did a a 30th anniversary of a movie. I did a 25th anniversary of a movie. And so I'm going to do a 20th anniversary of a movie, you guys. You guys are mm-hmm. both cordially invited to my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> now streaming on HBO Max. One of the top 10 movies of 2002. Written and starring Mia Vardalos. Got a sequel. Uh, and when, of course, I'll never forget when we saw the trailer to that sequel, a woman laughed harder than I've ever seen anyone laugh <laughs> in my life. I'm going to have to watch that trailer again to see what was so goddamn funny. She was ready for it. But this is like something that doesn't really happen anymore. This movie was a, like a sensation. It was huge. I don't know how it happened. Tom Hanks produced, so I had his bump. So that probably helped. But uh, And I, also it's the fact that like, I feel like we haven't heard from Nia Vardalos in a while. It was just kind of this one huge thing that happened in her career. That's uh, pretty amazing. And, and now, and now we're gonna find out what the deal was. I've I've never seen it. I don't imagine you guys have. <laughs> that could be the title of our <laughs> podcast. Just like, what's the deal? <laughs> what's the deal? I mean, that's this that's movie? a huge theme of this podcast. It was popular. Is is, is digging How come into I haven't yeah, seen it. exactly. It's digging into stuff. You're like, what? Why did people like this? Or like, what was this? Yep. Um, this so. this had a TV show spinoff too. This was the thing. So Jupiter Sending made 183 million dollars at the box office. Uh, Without adjusting for inflation, my big fat Greek met- wedding made three hundred sixty-eight million at the box office. So literally double the box office of Jupiter Ascending. I'm sure it was made for like a tenth of what yeah. Jupiter Ascending costs. Budget budget of five million dollars versus. It was directed by like a TV director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it has Joy think... Fatone in it. <laughs> sure does i don't know if i've ever seen him in a movie but i will now yeah mm-hmm. John oh Corbett. shit wait a minute was this three timers for uh channing tatum or have we only watched two channing tatum movies 
I think it's just two. I was looking okay. at his filmography while we were recording. Oh, this, I haven't been keeping it's... track of the uh, the three timers club. Oh, yeah. Maybe careful. What was the other Channing Tatum we watched? Oh, John. Oh, sweet John. It's better to forget <laughs> than to remember. <laughs> oh yeah, it was uh, White House Down. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. Man, we really do just watch movies that are like, what's the, whoa, that was a popular for like a second. What was up with that? What was up with that? Yeah. I don't think there's anyone else in Jupiter Ascending who could have possibly been in the Three Timers Club. Yeah, I mean, Sean Bean gets around, but... I mean, there might there's probably some like lesser characters that are now in the Two Timers Club just because of it being another Wakout. Uh, oh, Wakata. yeah. I wonder if James Darcy yeah. has been in... in two. And now, I mean, now Duna Bay's got two. Uh, you want to bring us home, Sean? Yeah. Uh, the, you can keep uh, Jupiter Ascending over to our website, uh, mildlyplease.com <laughs> and subscribe to us on your podcast thing by subscribing to Mildly Please. It's just, it's just called Miley, please. It has the pick. And, uh, and yeah, so we've got that episode coming up. We've got Criterion Month coming up. So lots of exciting things to look forward to. Uh, and <laughs> been, while I've been talking, I've been trying to look up another Balam quote. And they're all really bad. And they don't fit the end of the podcast. But I'll go with, bring her to me. No! No!